Today's message comes from Genesis chapter 47, verse 27 to 31. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place, he answered. I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Hello, everybody. It's good to be back. I'm going to continue on with Genesis. We're almost at the end, at the finish line, at the finito, right? Uh, But we're at the end, and here what we read was Jacob's final plea to Joseph. There are some things before, but we're not going to get into that yet uh, or at this time. But we're going to get into this part because I think there's a lot of meat in these verses. I'm going to talk about life and death and the promise. So life and death and the promise. So it says here, Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. And that's very, very interesting because... Jacob finally comes into this land after suffering for so long in the famine. He comes into this land and he goes into Egypt and he is under Joseph's care for 17 years. We know that he completely submits to Joseph because he says things like, if I have found favor in your sight. And you only say things like that to a superior. So you see here, Jacob is submitting to Joseph, and in the last 17 years of his life, he lives in Egypt under Joseph's care. But what's also interesting is that the first 17 years of Joseph's life was under his father's care. When we first started this journey, Joseph was 17 when he was sold into Egypt. So the first 17 years of Joseph was under Jacob's care, and we see that there now we have this kind of closing off, coming to an end. So Jacob spends the last 17 years of his life in Joseph's care, which brings us to this point. In life, you gain. In life, you gain. After we're born, we start acquiring things. No one here is exactly the same as they were when they were born. In fact, I can say confidently that all of you have grown physically, confidently that you have grown intellectually, emotionally, and hopefully in wisdom. And as you grow, you acquire things, like you have clothes on your back. You have, many of us have cars. 
Many of us have places to live. Many of us have jobs. We are receiving education. And so there's money being paid out. In life, you gain. And you see here that there was much that Jacob gained. They gained possessions in it, and they were fruitful, and they multiplied greatly in the land of Goshen. And this is what happens in life. We start acquiring things, and we start gaining things, and we start walking toward things as well. And we start pointing toward things, and we start holding on to certain things. In Jesus' time, there were two main parties that were part of the ruling council of Israel. And I'm going somewhere with this, so please follow. And the two ruling parties were the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They were the main parties. There were other smaller parties that were break-offs of other parties, like the Zealots and the Herodians, but two major parties that took up the ruling council were the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And in youth group, you may have learned that the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees were that the Pharisees believed in an afterlife and the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection or afterlife. And because they didn't believe in the afterlife, they were sad, you see. So that's, that's how we had youth group students remember. No life after death, you're sad, you see. And if you do believe, then you're a Pharisee. But there's more to it than that. And here are just some, and I'm pointing out very few, but here are some for, to make this point an illustration. The Sadducees were kind of considered as the conservative party. They had money and they had power and they were considered to be part of the aristocrat class. And they held the majority of the members in this ruling council. They held the majority members and they worked hard to keep the peace by agreeing with the decisions of Rome. Israel was not a free nation. They were under the control of Rome. So they had to work hard and they worked hard for peace by always submitting to Roman authority. And even though they weren't particularly religious, they gave the written word of God the ultimate authority, but not traditions or rules. I know we see tradition in a certain light, but I want to add rules. The Pharisees, on the other hand, were a little bit more liberal. They were mostly middle class, and so they held more in common with the average person. They held the minority in the ruling council, but it seemed that even though they were the minority, they were heard more or even had more control because they had the support of the majority of the people. But they also added a lot of laws and regulations, rules or traditions. If you were to read the New Testament, these are the words that they used. But if you used it today, it would be legislation. It would be a lot of rules on top of the word of God and they in fact gave traditions and rules equal authority. But because of their belief in the resurrection, they believed that their actions would grant them heaven and life after death. These two parties couldn't have been more opposed to each other in the way they viewed life and the way they lived it. I mention these two government parties because 
what they believed affected how they lived out their lives. What you believe about death and promise in your life affects how you live it. What you believe about death and promise affects how you live. A.W. Tozer wrote this famously, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to our minds is what is played out in our everyday lives. What is the most important thing to you? And we can say that this is the most important thing to me in my mind because we can see it start being played out in our lives. A lot of people might say with our mouths, I am this or I am that. I am part of this political affiliation or I am this or I am a Christian or I am a Buddhist or I am a Muslim. And then we can say these things but how you really know what they believe in their minds and hearts is played out in their lives. It's played out in our lives. The whole struggle with Jacob and Joseph was about idolatry. And I mentioned this once in a morning prayer, but we all have idols. And one of the biggest idols that we face today, and this I had a really interesting conversation with a vicar who, was, who wasn't from Manchester, but he had come to visit, and Jubin, Hannah, and myself, we had a long conversation with him, but he had this amazing study that he was showing us that we can kind of tell what our culture is by the top movies or the top grossing movies uh, in the United States and in the world. And it was very different from even 10 years ago or 20 years ago, to the top grossing movies now, and he would show us this list. And if you look at 2016, all the top grossing movies are all one genre, and that genre is fantasy, whether it's a comic book fantasy, or it's some kind of fantasy that you live out, or, but it's just fantasy, like Lord of the Rings or things like that. And so all the genres seem to have kind of, co all the movies have kind of coalesced to this one genre and we now watch fantasy. I do believe sincerely that this is the idol of today, fantasy. And for men, we talk about it a lot, and I mention it quite often here, it is sexual idolatry and pornography, the things that we continue to put in our eyes, the things that appear when we close our eyes, the images that flash before us, but I would also contend that women have the same idol. And women have this idol, and it is also fantasy. And it shows when we make lists and we put lists, and if you don't get on this list, then you are not marriage material. You are not good enough, and you do not qualify. And we have these lists. And I'm not saying all lists are bad. I'm saying some, some, some are okay, some are necessary. But what we have done is we have put these lists into this elaborate, detailed idol where there's like 60 things, and if this person doesn't fill it all, then this person doesn't qualify. And if I give in and I marry this person, 
That's a lot of grace on my part, isn't it? I've shown so much mercy because this person filled so much, but it didn't complete it all. But it's the same thing. It's the same coin, just two different sides. When we watch pornography, when we flood ourselves with these images and fantasies, what we are saying is we really want this, but not all women are the same. And not all women should be treated like objects. We know it. We say we know it, but how we live it is different. And the same way women, we start making these elaborate lists. I said we, but we <laughs> start making these elaborate lists. I think I can't. No, okay. Anyway, <laughs> start making these elaborate lists. And when we don't have that, it's like, I gave in. But what happens is then we see the result. What's the result today? The result today is broken families. People saying outright in public, I didn't marry my soulmate. What does that even mean? That's a crazy statement that the person you married, that you had a covenant before your creator who now binds you by his Holy Spirit, this person isn't meant for me. Isn't that the same as saying, God, you are not God. And what you have designed for me is not perfect. But I will dictate whenever I want what is good and what is perfect for myself. My friends, that is idolatry. That is death. That is hell. One of the scariest verses I think that you can come across, and there are a lot of scary verses, verses that people hate, especially if you go through Deuteronomy, people are just like, I just can't, I just can't take these verses. These are offensive to me. And I would think that's a good thing because I am imperfect. And if I read something perfect, things are bound to offend me. Unless I am perfect, then the things that are offense, uh, imperfect should offend me. Either way, one is good and one is bad. One is compatible, one is incompatible uh, with goodness. But one of the verses that would kind of shake me whenever I would come across it is when Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, will go to heaven. Not everyone who says, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior will go to heaven. What? Wait. I thought all I had to do was confess and believe, and I'm good. But did you continue to read the Bible? Did you continue to read where Paul says, we have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling? Did you continue to read those parts as well? Because when we do these things, we see here that a lot of the things that Jesus is saying, if you are going to call me Lord, Lord, if you say it with your mouth, you think you believe it in your mind, you better live it with your life. And is it coming out from your life? Or do we still have an idol? And because of this, we have death. And Job put it so eloquently when he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Naked you did come to this world. You may not be naked now, but when you return, you will be naked. 
And when you realize that this has power over us, especially those that hold on to this idol, especially those who have fantasy in our lives, things that are not of God, but we want it to be God and we make it God. Death comes for us. And I have to say, we as Christians must hold on to the future and the promise. There is um, a hero of mine, and many people, I think everybody says this person is their hero, but every time I would listen uh, to this person's speech, man, like one tear just comes down. Many times a lot of tears come down because this, this speech is just so good. And I'm just going to read you the last portion, the last paragraph of this, uh, of this speech. And he said this, like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And so I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And this is, this is very famous. We all should know this. Next year marks the 50th anniversary of his assassination and death. And it's Martin Luther King Jr. The speech was delivered on April 3rd of 1968. The following day, Dr. King was standing on his second floor balcony of the Lorraine Motel where he and his associates were staying when a sniper's bullet struck him in the neck and he was rushed to the hospital where he was pronounced dead about an hour later at the age of 39. There's something deeply profound in what he said. This is a man who is fighting for social justice. This is a man who is fighting for equal rights. And one of the things that I also struggle with that I wanna share is that when we put these things above God, as good as it is, when we start placing it above God or equal to God, that's when it becomes dangerous. Equality is good but equality is not God. Equality is good, but equality is not God. There was a time when there were slaves and masters, and God had given both slaves and masters commands on how to live life. Equality is good, equality is not God. I've been really thinking about a lot of the movements that we are facing, especially us in the Northeast sector of the United States. And there's a lot of movements for social justice, for people to have equal rights, and these are good things. Don't get me wrong. These are things that we also need to stand up for. Things like feminism or equal rights between every human being. Those are good things, but, but, is it God? When some people can't vote and some people can, and we say they're both citizens, of course, those are blatantly wrong. They're obviously wrong. But if we make that our highest priority in life, what do you come out with? You come out empty and you come out defeated. 
And so this is something truly profound. This is a man who is fighting for all sorts of social justice, not just equality between white and non-whites, but all sorts of social justice. But he said this, I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know that we as a people, we will get to the promised land. There is something higher, something greater, something more good that we need to keep our eyes on. And this is what also was promised to Jacob. What was promised to Jacob? Jacob was promised what he had been, what God had promised to Isaac, what God had promised to Abraham, that this land would be their land. This is literally the promised land, and he had to go. And we talked last time that it was God who blessed him to go. But Jacob still remembered, this is what God promised me. And so he remembers, and that is why he goes to Joseph, don't let me be buried here, but take me up out of Egypt, back to the promised land and swear to me. And the way he did it was very interesting. And it's only one other time before when uh, Abraham was trying to find Isaac. And some of you have gone through a Bible study. One of you actually texted me, what does it mean to place your hand under your thigh when you make a promise? <clears throat> some of you may not know what we're talking about. But in small group, we had this, I think some, some groups had the discussion but Jacob does the same thing to Joseph. He says, place your hand under my thigh. Basically, he's saying, put your hands on my genitalia. And it's more tastefully said here in the Bible, and it's less crass than if he had, it was written, place your hands on my genitalia, because no one actually says that. But he had placed his hand under a very vulnerable place for a reason. And a lot of people think it's because this was the origin of their life. You know, this is a joke that we tell, maybe fathers would say to their kids, you came from down under, that kind of thing. But they would tell this joke, but back then, perhaps they took it a little more seriously. And thinking of Israel as an Eastern culture, remember they came from Ur, which is even east of Israel, back, in, back further where Iran is, I can kind of see how that makes sense. But he makes him take this solemn vow. Promise me that you won't let me be buried here. Promise me that you will take me up out of Egypt. But Jacob died. And Jacob died not actually living out in the promised land. And what does that mean? And what does it mean when Dr. King says, I may not get there with you, but we as a people, I promise you, will get to the promised land. In Hebrews chapter 11, at the end of this chapter, it says, and all these things, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. God has given us a promise to look at to strive for, to run toward. This is the promise we as a people have to remember. In life and in death, what are you living for? How do you live it right 
without idolatry. Isn't it true that once things start becoming habitual and you get into a grind, you start losing sight of what you are supposed to be focusing on? And it, it's true even for here in this worship service, when we have things that are supposed to go in order and things don't go into order and sometimes something goes askew, the PowerPoint or the screen up there may not have the right lyrics all the time. Sometimes the music may not come out from a certain instrument. Sometimes someone that's supposed to be up here might not be here. And sometimes our habit isn't perfect and it gets changed. But our reactions are very fascinating, right? Our reactions are fascinating because when things like that happen, some of us really get angry. Some of us get upset. And we start getting angry and we start losing sight of the most important thing because we have now settled for lesser things. We have started to settle for idols. What's the most important thing in life? Jesus came down so that he wouldn't just show us something that was on par with the things of this world. He came down to this earth to show us something that's better than anything this world can offer. Better than any piece of land that you could receive, any kind of social justice reform that you can get in your lifetime. Better than all these things. And you might think, how is that possible? That doesn't make any sense, but we know this to be true. If I hold on to these things of this world, what happens is I get dismayed, disillusioned, disenfranchised. I get saddened. I start losing hope because my hope was something that wasn't as good as God. What is your hope? When I continue to look at the things of this world, it starts to bring me down, doesn't it? When I see what's going on in North Korea and what they did with Otto, it's crazy, it's sad. But I knew that was going on too, and I almost feel helpless. How do we keep stopping? By the way, don't go to North Korea, guys. And I was just like, it's just sad. And things that are happening in the Middle East, things that are happening in Africa right now, things that are happening even in Europe, Things that are happening all over the world, if we continue to keep our eyes on these things, what happens even right next door, even our neighbors, if our eyes are on these things, then my joy depletes, my promises get broken, and I become more and more hopeless. But God has shown us something that we can keep our eyes on so that when we keep our eyes on Jesus, hope renews. It springs forward and it starts to abound in our lives. There's an interesting story about a woman named Florence Chadwick. She was the first woman to swim the English Channel in both directions. So on the 4th of July, 1951, she attempted to swim from the Catalina Island to the California coast. And the challenge was not so much the distance, but it was the really bone chilling temperature of the waters in the Pacific. 
And to complicate the matters, one, when you swim in this channel, there's a dense fog that lays over the entire area, making it impossible to see the land. So she started swimming. And after about 15 hours in the water, within half a mile of her goal, Chadwick gave up. And later she told a reporter, look, I'm not excusing myself, but if I could have seen land, I might have made it. Not long afterwards, she attempted the feat again. Once more, a misty veil fog obscured the coastline and she couldn't see the shore, but this time she made it because she kept reminding herself that land was there. And with that confidence, she bravely swam and achieved her goal. And in fact, she broke the men's record by two hours. The political parties and governments of the world do not have the ultimate solution. The Sadducees and Pharisees didn't have the solutions for the people of their day. Neither do the government agencies of today in our country or any other country for that matter. And when we were in Britain, I was shocked. Jubin was shocked, Hannah was shocked. We were all shocked at how politically um, aware they were. They knew everything that was going on. A lot of us here are somewhat aware now that Trump became president, but before I knew many people that couldn't, couldn't care less. But they were very aware. But it doesn't matter if you are aware or you are not aware. You cannot put your hope in these government parties. But interestingly enough, the Sadducees and Pharisees, while they couldn't agree on anything, there was nothing they would go across the line for. And they couldn't have been more different. They were united one time for this one thing. The plot to kill Jesus went underway and he was crucified and he was buried. But it didn't stop him. He rose again from the grave. Death couldn't hold on to him. And now who would believe in him and give their life to him would not die but have eternal life. And not just any life. The life Jesus promises is life to the full. Every time I have thought, man, if I become a Christian and I start adopting certain views, biblical principles, I'm going to miss out because I love to club. I don't know, whatever it is. I love to do this one thing. And if I, if I become a Christian, aren't I missing out? Because I love to get drunk and go crunk. I don't know, but I love to do something, right? And you do all these things, right? And we start thinking and believing in these lies and we put all of our energy, time, and money into things that don't satisfy, that are lies. When Jesus comes, he goes, those are lies. And I have not just come to give you life, but life to the full. Dry land, the dry land that was shown to us is Jesus Christ. 
Because what we all long to hear in the deep recesses of our soul, isn't it? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Keep your eyes on the prize. Hold on to the promise. Don't give in to the lies, even if they bombard you daily, moment after moment, hour after hour, that Jesus is not the way, that this other thing is the way, but those are not the answers. And we know it to be true because look at history. Look at all the time that's passed. The dry land that was shown to us is Jesus Christ. And once we land, we will hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Until then, my brothers and sisters, I implore you to hold on. Let's pray. There are things in our very lives right now that we hold on to that is not Christ. And it could be lists, it could be porn, it could be fantasies, it could be this thing, but it is not God. And these things are lies. Let's take this time to lift up to the Lord, ask him to search our hearts, to know us, and if there's any way that's not right within me, oh Lord, take it away. Because I want to be with you. I want to have life and life in the full with you. And as you lift up your prayer, know that our God is a good God who desires mercy over judgment, who hears your very words in your heart. Let's pray.